right, folks. Welcome back to another glorious episode of the Boombastic Cast with the greatest man in the world, Alexander Hawk. That would be me, yes. And I the lowest man on the totem pole, Matthew Fisher, doing it big, trying to do it big, um, doing it big style, making it nice. You know what I mean? I wore a special hat, keep my brain warm so I can have good questions for this episode of the Boombastic Cast. And what an episode it is. Alexander, tell the folks what we have in store for them behind curtain number one. Well, behind curtain number one, uh, we are going to be interviewing Mr. Tom Proctor. Yeah. Now, for those who might or might not know, Tom Proctor um, has been in uh, some uh, great film and TV. He's been in, uh, uh, most notably, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, he has been in The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And uh, he also has been in a lot of uh, great TV like Justified and Baskets. A very talented actor. And not just that. I mean, after doing research, uh, just the stuff he's done. Well, you know, he has a lot of acting credits. He has a lot of credits in other uh, parts of making film. I mean, he's... Yeah. He's he has stunts he credits. He has animal wrangler credits. He has directing credits, producing credits. This guy does it all. And every producer, it, every producer should get an animal wrangling credit. I feel. <laughs> well, yes. For I those who don't back. know, that sometimes dealing with actors is like herding cats. So. You know, Alfred Hitchcock once said something about actors and cattle. <laughs> But uh, we'll leave that to Alfred, uh, the good the good director. Yeah. So today's going to be good times. I've been looking forward to this episode for quite a bit, you know. Yeah. Mom's been involved with a lot of really cool projects, and the little kid film fan in me, whenever I see all these all these big filmmakers that people get to work with, I go, ooh, yeah. Here comes questions. Very oh, nice. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting uh, – I mean, at least out of my uh, experience, while I don't have a, a long list of uh, doing interviews, uh, this is the first person that I can actually ask, what does an alligator wrangler do? How do you wrangler, wrangler alligators? That, that, that's one, one question I definitely have to ask him because I'm, I'm just curious as all hell how the hell you do that. It's a dangerous job, but somebody has to do it. That is true. That is true. Speaking of animal wrangling, who was the big uh, famous animal planet guy? Not Steve Irwin, but the other one. The one that was before him. Oh, oh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Marty Stafford? I want to say Jack, maybe? Jack something? I don't know. John? I was on the docks visiting my cousin in his boat the other day, and we walked by a boat that was um, owned by that dude. So that's why Nano, oh, okay. Animal Talk made me put it on my head. Jack Corwin. John Corwin? Okay. Corwin. Last name Corwin. Corwin. He was the dude that when we were on the come up, he was like Animal Planet, the king of animals. You know how every generation has their own king of animals? Yeah. yeah. I mean, in the 80s, it was Marty uh, Stafford. Well, then in the 90s, it was this dude. Okay. Corwin, Jeff Corwin, Jeff Corwin. I'm pretty okay. sure that's what it is. And then, and then, what's his name came into the mix? Steve Irwin. 
Yeah, very much like Corwin. So he, uh, Jeff was very unhappy with him. I wouldn't speculate to say that he had that stingray put the hit out on him, but <laughs> but I'm not going to speculate that it's not true either. Um, but yeah, he was like the '90s animal dude, and then all of a sudden uh, Corwin came in. I think he was yeah he was life aquatic as well as on land. Um, they probably both were. But uh, that dude took over. He got his own, like, movie, the Crocodile Hunter movie, um, which is bananas that they gave that dude a movie. But it was a, a weird time for Hollywood at that time. I own that film, which is even weirder than it being made, is the fact that I own a VHS copy from Blockbuster of that somewhere. Uh-oh. Which I makes it... I wouldn't have to get myself a copy. I don't think I've ever seen it. I heard that he did a movie, but I haven't seen it. I never watched it, but I own it. It's one of those things. Uh, what it's, I've seen, it, it's it's a um, you know um, conversation piece. When I seen the VHS, I felt the darkness of what was to come for the poor guy. So I grabbed it for uh, for for value of that. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm looking at at all the stuff Tom has done. He's very accomplished. He 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 does music. He has his own band. I mean, if Tom honestly, happens, if Tom was friend with Mister Mister Irwin. Uh, with the crocodile hunter, we have to take all this out of the episode. So Uh-oh. let's cross our fingers that he doesn't say he was friends with him <laughs> in the interview. We'll have to ixnay the une on all this, eh? Um, but we get nothing but respect. We like to poke fun and have fun with the ones we love. You know what I mean? If Tom was friends with Steve, Steve was a good dude. Right? You know what I mean? We were, clo- very st- we were very close with Steve. I gave him his first pair of alligator shoes. <laughs> um, very nice style, but yeah, you know what I mean. This is going to be good times. And without further ado, here is the gentleman right here. So, without further ado, here is the world of Tom Proctor. Hi, uh, that's that's uh, get get uh, get right into it. Okay, um, I gotta say, uh, one of the things is um, I was doing research and. I have an honest question. Is there anything you cannot do? Is that a question to me or Matt? <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, the thing that. is that, you know, I mean, I, um, I mean, you, uh, have like, uh, driven cattle, you've, you know, animal, uh, um, uh, uh, wrangler. You're also, uh, a, uh, MMA fighter. I mean, you, you I mean, honestly, you from, reading everything that I read about you that your your life sounds like a movie within itself. Yeah, I've been told that a lot of times. Um, and um, it, it probably is. You know, a lot of it I'd rather people didn't write about because I think I could still go to jail for that, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the statute of limitations is on some things, but yeah. uh, I I... I will tell you, you know, you know, you you watch, you ever watch uh, what's uh, Winnie the Pooh? Yeah. Okay, my my family has told me several times you're Tigger because when I when I get really happy, I laugh at as a high pitched Tigger type laugh. But you know, in Winnie the Pooh, Tigger would go uh, try things. He would say, "Tiggers like living in trees. They live in trees." And then he got up there too high and looked down and goes. Oh, no, 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 no. Tiggers do not like living in trees. Tiggers, Tiggers don't like this. 
Well, I, I pretty much did that with my life. You know, we did a lot of the animal training come about because we didn't have, we, we, we weren't like rich ranchers. We didn't have, you know, you know, 300 acres in Montana. We had a, a 40 acre family plot where we wintered and then we ranged cattle and, and everything like that. So, uh, we didn't have Nintendo. We didn't have the, the game, video games kids got nowadays. And so my way of it, my way of entertaining myself was, you know, I, I'd find a baby raccoon that the mom had been killed and I'd train it up to do tricks and train mountain lions and wolves. And we, and, and my dogs that did a lot of movie work were operating on boys command because a lot of my dog uh, work with the movies was come from being lazy. I, I would, most people come up, cattle then come up behind their cattle and they herd the cattle in front of them. Well, for me, that's eating a lot of dust. Yeah. And so I trained the dogs to make out runs and bring the cattle to me and shut them down. And I trained the dogs from when they're pups to make whatever they were herding follow me. You know, which is kind of shitty because now you got the dogs eating the dust, but not you. But dogs yeah. are eating the dust anyway. It ain't like it ain't like they can herd from the front. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so it wasn't like I, I wasn't you know looking for an out for them and and being you know there was we had a very very small small town. Well, actually, no town to start with. We didn't have a grocery store or nothing. One town over had this one building that was the designated karate school building. And that meant somebody was going to open up and try to have a successful karate school there every six months. And so I wound up getting my green belt in like 12 different systems because they would go and shut down and everything like that. And I just kind of kept at it. And uh, I saw the movie Billy Jack. Oh, yeah. that's Yeah. Cool. And and that's what made me think I can be a movie star. And I'll tell you what my line of reasoning was there, because it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Scratch that word. It was getting ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. And uh but my thought was now you gotta keep in mind I was, you know, young kid, uh, 10, 11, 12. but I saw Billy Jack and I thought, he trained under Bong Su Han. And I train under a guy who trains under a guy who trained under another guy who trained under a guy who trained under another guy who probably trained under somebody who lived somewhere in the area and knew Bong Su Hong and was in the same system. It was hop keto is hop keto, right? And bowling team. Yeah. And bowling team. Yeah. <laughs> and so I got it to my head that that was my way in. I was going to do that. And so I went through a lot of uh, ex, you know, put a lot of energy into learning the fighting arts and, and stuff like that. And it, it was, uh, kind of funny because there was Stan Chinoff had a boxing, uh, thing in his garage. And so I learned to box and they set up a fight at the Geneva Steel Hall. And I was like nine or so. I don't know. I'm not good with ages back then. And they got me ready to go to my first fight. Well, I go to do, get in a fight and I see 
Stan didn't have a boxing ring in his trace place. He had the punch bags and all that stuff. And I don't know what I was thinking, but they said, we're going to go up in that ring and fight. And I said, no, he ain't. Yeah. And they said, well, what do you mean? No, this is the fight. And I said, no, he wants to fight. He come out here. I'll fight him in the parking lot. And they said, you, you got to go in the ring. I said, no, because if I'm in the ring, I start to lose or nowhere to go. And that ain't happening. He wants to fight. He can come out here. Oh, man, I embarrassed my whole family and everything because I would not get in that ring. And then somehow managed to go from that to cage fighting. And That's quite a jump because now you definitely can't get out of that ring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) But I got got all right with it because I was all right with it in cage fighting because the early days of cage fighting, I was fighting before it was called MMA. It was called No Holds Barred. And there really was no rules, no time limits. And, you know, you give me, you give me a fight where there really is no rules and no time limit. I'm good with that. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I, I, I took the heavyweight title and super heavyweight title when I was 47 years old. And then I got tired of beating guys to death and not having their corner throw the, so dumbass me, we went and decided to get a sanction and we started the ISCF, International Shoot Fighting Association, and got the first cage fight. So what I was doing them was all done in Mexico or down on, out on the reservations. And then the UFC or Battle Cade, you got to fight one or the other. And I'm, and I thought Battle Cade was going to do better than UFC, but it, it, it didn't. It, they did a couple of good fights and then they, become the something else fighting organization. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it was kind of, it was kind of, you know, just, just, just crazy, crazy, crazy times. And then when I, when I, when I got, I started the ISCF, got the rules made, got it sanctioned by the boxing commission and my entire fight record went away. Because only two of my fights were sanctioned, so that it was like all the rest of them gone, as far as legitimate fights go. And you know, which don't matter. Your fight record don't matter. I I pissed off Cameron Lee too in 1974. They were gonna, they were trying to set the rules, the precedents for uh, martial arts in the Olympics. Yeah. Now you got to keep in mind that this time. It's different now, but at this time, uh, an American, a white American could not get to above third degree in Taekwondo. They just wouldn't give it to them. Hmm. Now you got 17 year old karate bastards in Taekwondo. Yeah. And they get their black belt in a year guaranteed. And, um, uh, uh, and so they were trying to establish these things. And my, one of my instructors, Jim Hansen, had invited me to come down representing Vegas and represent the U.S. teams. I said, yeah, that sounds fun. I'll go do that. And it was AKA fighting is what they were using to establish. Now, AKA fighting, in my opinion, was the most exciting fight crap in the world. When I say fight crap, I mean exactly that fight crap because it was three 90-second rounds with uh, one-minute rest. So, 
yeah, so all technique went out the door. Yeah. It was a matter of who got the most as first to send the conversation. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, uh, but they had weird, so they'd set up it kind of like that, but then they had these weird set of rules that said a punch was worth more points than a kick and this was worth that. And, and if, if somebody was hurt and couldn't continue, they didn't lose the fight. They forfeited the fight. Yeah. And I couldn't make no sense of that. You just got your ass whipped. It looks like to me, you lost the fight. Mm. If, you, if you can't continue, yeah. you know, how's that not losing? Cause you had, anyway, it was set up really weird because it was set up designed to favor the Koreans. And I, <laughs> I got an argument. Kwan Lee calls me and wants me to go down representing Korea. I says, I'm an American. I represent America. You march on uh, Korea. You represent Korea. I said, no, actually I don't. <laughs> and yeah. And, uh, he, he says, uh, you, and he got really mad. He says, I make sure. Uh, Cameron, this was Cameron Lee. He said, I'll make sure your first fight, Quan Lee. And I said, I don't give a shit who's my first fight. I said, you know, you go to an orgy, you don't care which one you have sex with first. You're going to work your way through all of them anyway. Yeah. And, um, and, and, uh, so, uh, I, I pissed him off. He walked out and Joe Pierce is standing there and I says, who the hell is Kwan Lee anyway? He goes, um, eight time Korean national champion, six times European national champion. He's got a record of, I can't remember how many and all. I was, well, that pretty much means he hasn't fought anybody. <laughs> <laughs> he never lost a fight. Yeah. He hasn't fought anybody. You think they fluff it up for him? Like they're heroes that they're building, they fluff it up with, you know what I mean? To make them yeah. look great? Yeah, they, they do that a lot. They did that on the guy who went and fought in Japan. And, but, but it was, it was uh, a funny situation because they cut the rules back enough that he had this big fancy-ass cartwheel kick that he'd do and catch people with. And I'd watched it enough times. And I thought, oh, well, I got a surprise for you. And so I stood there with my legs long, waiting for that, waiting for him to fire that. And when he did, instead of sweeping him or, or sidekicking him, I just reached up, grabbed his gi with both hands like this, brought it down, boom, headbutted him and rocked back with a big old John Wayne punch, blam, and knocked him the hell out. Well, neither one of those punches qualified as uh -huh. things. So here the guy is, he's out cold, cannot continue. And at that point, I was ahead of him on points. So he lost to a forfeit. He was, and uh, Cameron got mad. He says, you not fighter. You maul him. You maul him. I said, well, maybe you got to train your fighters to fight maulers because it's supposed to be self-defense, right? Yeah. Yeah. And... I don't know. All the guys I ride with aren't really training, and they mall shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's it's you know it changed. You see it even the UFC. Like back in the beginning of the UFC, there's some of those the fights that really made you know people watch it. They they were super violent as opposed to now. It doesn't. It gets violent from time to time. But like you thought somebody was gonna die in the early days. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was rough.
but you see, what do you attest the softening up kind of now? Is that more of like a Hollywoodized or like a sports entertainment got more involved with it? You know, it's 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 a lot the boxing commission got uh, entertained with it, but I'm going to tell you right now. The new one is more violent. It don't look more violent. It's just like people think that the initial cage fighting was um, uh, more violent than boxing. No, not no. true. The, the AKA fights, the rule was you had to stay at a distance that you, you couldn't tie up. You had to stay at the exact distance that I break cinder bricks with my heel kick. Yeah. You know, and when you think when you think about it, if you got a guy on the ground and you're punching him, it looks brutal. Mm. In order to get an effective punch, you got to get your hip into it first. Your hip has to launch, just like doing a, bas- a baseball, yeah. just like doing a golf club. The hip has to launch first to have any power in it whatsoever. And if you're on the ground pile driving, you can't you, you can't do that. All you got is weight, push weight. So. It was when they made the rules that said, now you're going to stand apart and fight. But I had to go, yeah, I'm too old for that one. Yeah. You know, as long as, as long as I do, I, I trained in Cambodia and the Bokador and, and in Thailand, Muay Thai. So if, if I could do a Bokador tie up on the young guy and hang on him, mm. they'll break that up now because it's too boring. Really? My fights were very boring. But uh, I would hang on the, the younger guy until I saw him drop his mouth open and start breathing. Yeah. Then I'd flip him out and say, now we're the same age. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. <I like laughs> that. yeah. That's a good call. I'm down to, uh, to uh, your size. Yeah. It, 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 to, yeah, it, it, it does. Along the, you know. So you're seeing uh, a better caliber of fighter now. They're, they've got their diets right. They're yeah. – uh, things, you know, I had guys, uh, training in my gym, uh, in Arizona, absolute martial arts that was there. Mark Kerr trained there. Tito Ortiz came there. Uh, Rico Rodriguez trained there, you know, that, you know, uh, and they, they weren't, they didn't have their diets really balanced out, you know, yeah. And, um, a, a lot of them, you know, I always loved it. There was a guy, Pat Singleman, I fought him three times, and he just kept thinking if he just did more steroids, he'd be able to beat me better. <laughs> and uh, the first the first time he fought me, it was a minute and 30-second fight. He came back in, and I outweighed him by five pounds. I'd weighed in at 190. And uh, he came back at... 210, like a few months later, I don't even know what kind of steroids can do that. And uh, we fought again, and it was a 45-second fight. He came back at 245. It was a 15-second fight. Yeah. He's definitely doing something drastically wrong. (laughs) So those, those steroids really worked for him. <laughs> I said, "You should, next time before we fight, stick a few more needles in your ass. I think it's working." <laughs> well, hey, look at it this way: the more needles he sticks in his butt, 
the easier it is for you to uh, knock them out and uh, go take an early lunch, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I know so I had that going. I raced motorcycles. I uh, did drag bikes. I was sponsored by Bull Taco of Utah. That tells you how old I am. They don't even make Bull Tacos anymore. And I just, and all of that came around full play when it came to stunt work, you know? So is there something I haven't done? I don't know what it is. I've been an underwater welder. I, I got a single engine pilot license. I, um, you know, I, I've lived, if, if I died tomorrow, no one should cry about that shit. Cause for anybody to have the life I've had, that I've had so far, They'd have to be faster than shit or be a hundred and some odd years old. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. what we've talked about thus far is pretty epic. You know, a whole bunch of stuff. Hell yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's I mean, it's, it's, it's great. It's funny how you um, um, uh, made the um, reference of you kind of like the Tigger from Winnie the Pooh, which I mean, and uh, both Matt and I have kind of the same philosophy in, especially when it comes to filmmaking, is learning every aspect of making films, whether it's directing, acting, um, you know, scene design, you know, PA, whatever. I mean, the thing is that to make a good film, you got to know all aspects of it. And I mean, looking at, I mean, I see that you've directed, you produced, you, I mean, as you said, uh, uh, stage combat, I mean, and also you have your band. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it really- it, it, it's a fun life. It's, it's, it's a fun life. And I've been really blessed with good people like COVID hit. And I, uh, you know, all of a sudden everybody's, nobody's making movies. Yeah. And, uh, I've, I, you know, my, and I got a nephew here who's just a geek. Yeah. He, teaches, he teaches the film school here, but he never really got a chance to make a good movie. And he says, come on, what's the point in having a famous uncle if I can't make a movie with him while he's stuck in lockdown? And I says, well, you know, the only thing is if I, you know, funding a movie out of pocket, it's just going to be a piece of crap. You can't get a good camera and everything like this. He shows up, shows me this footage, and I said, he says, what do you think this was shot on? I said, I know what that was shot on. I can take one look and tell you what that was shot on. He goes, uh, okay. I said, it was shot on a red or, you know, named a few other high-end cameras. He goes, no. He said, this was shot on the Black Magic Pocket Cinema. Yeah. And I said, are you kidding me? And then they just come out with the 6K and found out I could buy that camera and all the prime lenses for less than what you used to rent a package for. Right. And, and, and we, we had, we had a lot of fun with that camera we shot. I mean, we shot a campfire scene here that literally the only light we used was the campfire. The latitude was phenomenal on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The technology is good with that. Yeah. So yeah. where's uh is that gonna be you gonna put that in some festivals or is that just kind yeah, of thing you guys want to do? We we had uh when we got done we got we had one more scene pickup shot that we had to use and uh that's a near 
drunk driving near miss type thing. And we're going to shoot that, uh, last week. And I went out in my, uh, being here in Southern Utah where it's hot, my tires had dry rot and gone flat. So I that put it, postponed that a little bit. I got a, uh, I got it down being getting new tires put on it. And then I'll run it to my editor, which is in California. Yeah. And you know, that, that's, oh, you've asked if there's something I don't do. I do not edit. <laughs> I, you can have that. I mean, I'll edit my little shit for, you know, I've got, you know, a little show I do in my garage, a Tom Proctor show on YouTube. Oh yeah. And I'll edit that. But even that I've talked my nephew into taking care of because <laughs> editors have at birth had their brains removed in the cyborg unit put in. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> it's, it's just, that's just all there is to it. Actually, it's funny that you say that um, because, I mean, Matt and I, we do our films and uh, for the most part, we always divvy up the work and uh, I I end up being the editor. And uh, for for the record, I I definitely do not like editing at all. You love it. You love it. Don't give me that. I only edit. So so what you're saying here, what I hear you saying is... (laughs) Is that Matt can kick your ass? That's so right. You get stuck being the editor. That's true. <laughs> well, well, it, it's because it's I got therapy for that, that. That's why. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's it's funny because you know I'm the editor out of default because I have the computer, so I forced myself to, to learn. But uh, definitely is not uh, is definitely not a fun fun aspect of uh, making movies for me. Not at all. And I understand what you're saying about, you know, some editors, you know, being like on the side. It's like me. If I'm editing a simple shoot. Yeah. And my gal comes in and says, would you like, would you like a sandwich? I'll say, what? And then I've lost track of where I was. Right. Yeah. Do not talk to me. Do not nothing. Yep. So my ex-wife, is, who's editing my movie, yeah. loves to edit. I have literally watched her in a room have an independent film here, be editing, hit render, go to a short film here, hit render, go to some actor's reel here, move this and this, and I'm thinking, what in Christ are you even made out of? How do you not have smoke coming out of your ears? Well, people can say the same for you. I think it's just a mode that people go, and it's just, they, 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 Put that you know, boom, boom, just continuously goes, you know. Yeah, uh, there's no no way for me to do it like that. My but man, much respect to the editors. Much respect to the editors, Walker. We love you over here. You know that. And so there's, you know, we buy you pizza for God's sakes. That's right, dude. You get pizza. <laughs> you get movies every now and then too. You get some movies sent over to you. Help you out. We go to the but we go to the store and buy movies. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, okay. So we, we, we eat movies. We eat. So movies. Where, where are you guys based out of? Massachusetts. I'm in the South Shore, and Alex is over in the Endover section. Yeah, the awesome. North Shore area. Yeah, I haven't I haven't filmed there. You should. You should come down. It's nice. It's gonna yeah. look to it. A lot of good locations. A lot of um, like uh, old uh, old timey feelings. A lot of places. New, new uh, old New England. Some yeah. of that old New England vibe. 
And and how is it for getting the low the 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 um, locations? Is there a lot of paperwork, like a lot of hassle? Uh, it depends Depending on, on the location. whether you want to go uh, under the radar or whether you want to go above board. <laughs> that's that's the that's the real question. You know, we can you can run and gun pretty much here for the most part, even with like bigger budget of things. You just got to you know be cautious a little bit. But for the most part. It's easy. It's just a matter of, you know, we've never had any real issues with it. We always talk to the homeowners or the company owners and get the okay. And outside of them, nobody else really has any issue. You know, I, I was filming here and we had this one scene where we got to come down a main boulevard with eight Harleys. Yeah. And, I, you know, I had moved my vehicles from California here. So I realized as we're doing it that both of my vehicles are not registered. They're yeah. expired. And we got we got one guy on the back of my forerunner hanging out the back with a camera. Another guy hanging out the side door with a camera, and then another car coming behind getting. Yeah. And we're on about our second pass down that, and this cop pulls everybody over. And I thought, oh shit, no permits, no nothing. Just our plates are registered, and the cop walks up to me. He says, "So you guys are clearly making a movie." And I says, "Yes, sir, we are." And he goes, "How many more runs do you need needed this?" I said, "Probably two, maybe three more runs." He goes, "Well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to shut it down." And uh, I said, well, "Yeah, that's understandable." He goes. Uh, because uh, traffic right now, people are getting out of work. So get those off as quick as you can. I'll run down the end of the street, shut it down. I'll call up one more partner and shut this one down. I thought he was talking about shut us down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm afraid I'm going to have to shut the road down because this is not really safe. That's cool of them. You know, we- and they, they literally shut the road down. Ignored the fact that our plates had expired. Didn't ask for film permits. Yeah. Just shut, shut the, the thing down. I think we've only shot really one kind of big scene on the street, and we just did, we called in the, to the police. We got a cop there to do detail, and that was really it. We paid for him to be there, and that was it. They were pretty cool with it, you know. We, it, other, other than that, I think there was two other issues where we had police show up. One was we actually had a retired state trooper on the set, so he smoothed it over, which was nice. And then the other one, we were in, like, we were in this town that people like to get shot and killed in a lot, and we had, uh, we had a, a gun on us, like not a real gun, but we had like a prop gun with us. And it was funny because the cops showed up, and they were like all half-dressed, like they were sleeping. And they were like, oh, we figured you guys were just making a movie, but, uh, you know, when they say they got a gun out there, we got to go. And they were super cool about it. They were like, have fun. They're usually pretty good. I've never really had any issue where they were, like, troublesome, you know what I mean? Well, you you haven't been to Los Angeles. Oh, well, that's where they get they make their bread and butter off, you know. Usually, I think the fact that they see somebody out there doing something positive, productive, they don't kind of, you know, give them a lot of time. On my places in Culver City, you try to film your grandkids there, and they'll ask you for a film permit. I believe that, yeah. Bunch of shits. It's all the money. They want money. Money, money, money. Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. That's what they want. Yeah. So, so when did the, 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 the full jump off from, like, um, you know, the fighting and stuff get into, you know, 
the Hollywood aspect of it. stunts first, I believe, right? Well, I, yeah, I accidentally rode onto the first movie set I was involved in. That's you know, my life has been an accident, and um, a lot of accidents. You know, no, seriously, I I accidentally rode on the first movie set I was ever involved in, and they hired us right on the spot. And, uh, you know, they had problem moving cattle and doing things like that. And then, you know, I started doing a lot of that up in Utah and everything like this. And then I got a divorce. And I went through a real terrible divorce. And every time a film company would come in, I, I had been fighting before I got into movies. Every time a film company would come in, she would subpoena the records, you know, in, in one little state like that. So it got to where nobody in Hollywood would hire me. Hmm. She was trying to get more alimony or whatever, cut off the nose, spiked face. Yikes. That's nuts. Uh, shit. Uh, and, um, and then, so, uh, and then I went, I had film research that we, the guy had wanted to develop a script and he wanted me to go to a no holds barred fight. And that was one of the first uh, things we did research on before. And I was at the fight and, uh, you know, run a little low on money. And the guy there was, uh, you know, put on, um, was one of Mont calls things that does the tough man contest, but it was a cage fight. One of the smaller ones. And, um, the guy there says, you look like a fighter, you know, and, and this is at a time when they literally would pull fighters off the bar right. school, yeah. you know, and there was a crooked promoter uh, uh, that uh, would literally, he also ran a jiu-jitsu school, so he'd get guys right off of the bar stool mm. to fight, you know, against his guys, you know, we used to do a, a thing on YouTube and uh, say, you know, where we mimicked him and would say, you know, in this corner we have the jujitsu fighter. He's 17 and 0. He's been training for 40 years. He's fought everybody from Godzilla to King Kong. And in this, you know, from, from my school, my dojo, which is the greatest dojo in the world. And in the other corner from that bar stool, we did <laughs> help carry him over there, but. He's almost sober now. He's ready to go. <laughs> and, your favorite uh, deli clerk from your neighborhood grocery store. Greg, yeah. give it up. And, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, so there was that type of deal. And the guy said to me, he says, you look like a fighter. You want to, you should give it a shot. And I said, what, uh, what, what, what type of organization, what type of fight is it? And he goes, well, it's no holds barred. I said, so what's the rules? He said, there is no rules. No biting, no eye gouging. I said, that's it? No rules at all. And I said, he says, I said, what's the price? Well, you only, well, how much does it pay? He said, well, you only, if you win, you get $3,500. And I said, well, how many, how many fights is that to a win? He said, well, you'd, you'd have fought three times, maybe four if they pull in an alternate. And I'm sitting there, my little girl's, I, you know, I was trying to figure out how I was going to get my money to get my little girl's braces taken off and done. And I go, so let me make sure I understand you. I get no rules. No buzzer's going to go off. There's no time limit. And I beat up four guys, 
tops, maybe only three, but I beat up four guys and you're going to give me $3,500 cash today. He goes, that's right. I said, I'm in. (laughs) Count me, count me in. I assume there's a mentality, like the two mentalities is there's people that are strictly ready to go to war. And then there's people that think it's fun that are like, yeah, we'll do this on a Saturday or whatever. And those people get like annihilated. You know what I mean? Yeah, there, there's the respect issue. My ex-wife was really did not get the respect issue. She 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 just thought it was a fight, like a street fight. Yeah. Because uh, one time I was there, I had trained uh, some guys, fighters. I trained, you know, Shannon the Cannon, you know, a bunch of people uh, there in Arizona. And I had my fighters to a fight. I wasn't planning on fight. And this guy that we call Pinky, uh, 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 he uh, he was pacing back and forth. Now, by this time, they'd gone down to just one fight. They got rid of the tournaments, and uh, you you fought one fight, but and winner, you got so much for losing and so much for winning. You got so much to fight. You got more if you want. And um, this guy, Pink, is just pacing. He says, "Oh fuck." Oh, oh, whoops, sorry. I don't know. I know you're recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It's cool. uh, You know, he's just pacing and he's all upset. And he goes, I said, what's going on? He goes, my guy got in a car accident on the way here. He said, I don't have anybody to fight. He said, I I can't make my rant. I can't make rant. I I, I got no one to fight. They're, you know, they're trying to find somebody. I got no one to fight. I said, I'll fight you, Pink. He said, you will. And I said, yeah. And he goes, oh, man, thanks, man. Thank you. And my poor ex-wife just went, did he just thank you for agreeing to fight him? I said, yes, because that's how he gets a paycheck. Yeah. She goes, well, I thought you two were friends. I said, we are. I love the man. So you're going to let him win? I said, no, I'm going to kick his ass. But he'll still get a paycheck. Right. Yeah, it's a performance. It's like a perform, you know, yeah. lack of a better word, it's a performance you guys are doing out there, you know what I mean, for people. And it, it, there's no bad blood, even though you're going, going, you know, fisticuffs. There's no it, bad it, blood if there. you go fight in Japan or Thailand, yeah. you'll be embarrassed at how the fights are handled here. Really? There is such a huge level of respect. We we went over and fought in Japan, and we were coming out, and my fighter lost. And he lost bad. It was a war, but he lost. He was just, the guy just had his number. That just happens. Nobody, anybody can have an off day. Yeah. I'm not even sure it was an off day or this guy's deal. He just had him figured. And um, uh, when we went to walk off, the whole crowd was, yeah, cheering and everything like that. And the fighter was they know we lost, right? Yeah. They don't care. You stepped up to the plate. I fought this one fight in Kansas. I think it was Kansas or Kentucky, somewhere in the south. 19-year-old kid. And I'm automatically thinking, you know, I've been fighting longer than this kid's been alive. I will bitch slap him and go home here early. Yeah. And it didn't work that way. That kid was all over me, and I was totally losing that fight. There were just 
it just wasn't happening. And he stepped in to throw a jab, and, and we both sweating, and he slipped on that sweat spot. And when he did, his chin came up, and I dove with everything I had, figuring that he this kid is not ever going to bring his chin up again. This is a one-time shot, throw everything, dive everything you got. And I'm wide open because I'm totally committed to dive in on that shot. That's the difference between a boxer and a Muay Thai fighter and a, and a MMA fighter, a cage fighter. Cage fighter is an opportunist. The others are skilled fighters. I hit that kid and knocked him out colder than shit. And, you know, got... Got walking out of the thing, and I'm walking out, and right in the front row in the cigar section is this big old job of the hut guy with a ten gallon coke can and a then a fucking twenty five gallons of popcorn, and he I go walking by and he looks at me and goes, "I'm glad you put that bum away." I looked over at that guy, jumped up and kicked him as hard as I could right in the chest, spilled his soda pop and his popcorn and rocked him in his chair backwards. I said, don't you ever, you fat stay puff marshmallow motherfucker, ever call a class athlete like that again a bum. Your ass barely fits on the chair. You calling him a bum? Of course, security escorted me out. And was, uh, <laughs> you could have stopped his heart. What do you think the difference is with the cultures like that? Why there's so much, there's more respect over there than there is kind of over here in certain days? Because over here, they think we're fighting. Yeah. You want to see what I fight like? Break into my house. Right. You want to have a good time? Get in the ring with me. Yeah. I get in the ring with my daughters. I get in the ring with, with kids. We have fun. I'll get on a jujitsu mat with anybody and we'll have a good time. Now you want to fight. One of us is not going to have a good time. Right. Sure. Me, I'm going to have a good time either way. Cause I like fighting. Yeah. And that's the problem with dealing with somebody like me. And there's very few people that are, are really true blood like fighting. And I explained it to a guy one time when he was bullying a guy and I smacked him and he wouldn't get back up. I said, Oh, so you're not really a fighter. You just, Wanted to bully this guy. He goes, "No, I'm, I'm a fighter." I said, "Then get off!" I can't. I got no air. You, I can't. I said, "A fighter would get back up." Yeah. And I explained to him. I says, "Here's how the fighter, a true fighter, looks at life." And I got a cousin that has no training, and I guarantee you don't want no part of him because he's a true fighter. Yeah. And a true fighter looks at fighting, sex, and pizza the same way. Pizza, the more toppings you have, the better. Yeah. Sex, the more people you got coming at you, the better. And it doesn't matter if you're on the top or you're on the bottom. It doesn't matter if you're winning or losing. You're still having pizza and sex. Exactly. <laughs> if it matters to you whether you're winning or losing, if you're not having a good time when you're losing, you're simply not a fighter. You probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. You should find another trade. Or if you're not having a good time winning, you know what I mean? Yeah. Possible too. Alexander. 
We're going to get Alex into the into the squared circle. I want to see Alex fight it out with somebody. With me. Dude, I'm smart enough to know that I'm going to get my ass kicked no matter what. That's I, not true, though. My yeah. friend over here bottle, has bottled up a lot of aggression throughout the years, and I think he would do some damage if I were put in the squared circle. Uh, yeah, you never underestimate anybody. You know, right. the, Glocks, the Glocks fit in your pocket. <laughs> and fit in your, you know, they're, they're, there's... <laughs> You know? Yeah. I tell people that all the time. I go, you know, a nine-year-old can walk up to you and kill you at this moment. You never even see it coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, personally, I, I like to try to hopefully limit the chances of anything like that happening. Wow. But I, I guess that, That's what I like about doing music. Oh, music. Is, no, is- nobody can fight and dance at the same time. It's true. That is true. That is true. Unless it's uh, in the mosh pit, they figured yeah, it out the mosh, in the mosh pit. Yeah, the mosh pit. <laughs> but you know, you're when you go into the mosh pit, you know that's kind of like getting into the ring. Like you know, the you know what could happen while being in there. Even though we see people that don't want to be in there, go in there all the time. And you, you know what? Out. You know what though that I've noticed is I go across this country doing my music and everything. Here's what I get. You know, everybody. They pretty much had me convinced that the country was real divided and we all hate each other. Mm. But when you load up your guitars, your Harley, and more guitars in your trailer and go across the country just playing everything from campfire spots to little tiny venues, you find out the country's not really that, that... uh, yeah. Divided. Yeah. And and another thing that I've been doing and, and having just fun with it is because I, I think our, our we're at a point where we need to heal, you know, get back to Happyville. I'll be somewhere and somebody will say, ah, man, I love that you're just, you know, going out and playing and doing these songs and you're doing everything like that. And I say, well, so I wish I could do that. I said, you can go get your guitar. Well, I, I don't play a guitar. Well, go get your guitar. Well, I don't play. I said, I didn't say you played. I said, you have a guitar in your house. Go get it. Most of the time, I'm right. They've got a guitar in their house sitting somewhere that they haven't played. Yeah. And I said, why don't you play? He said, it's just, you know, it's just really hard. It's, you know, it's something, you know, they think there's some rocket science to it. I won my guitar in an arm wrestle eight years ago. Never played before that. Hmm. Uh, six years later, I did an album, recorded an album in Nashville with remaining of the Dance Hall Doctors, Tim McGrath's old band, uh, Billy Mason, Mark Cordetti, Mark Thomas, uh, 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 Jeff Godfrey, you know, these, these high caliber musicians and, and, uh, didn't even know what chords I was playing. So I, sh- I love doing this. I, I love showing them. I said, okay, so you're going to make a D, which is these three fingers on this, this chord here. You're going to skip this. You're going to put down that one, which is the second string, second fret. You're going to put down this one. And then you're going to put down the ring finger on the one string that you missed. Now leave it right there. Now just do this strum. Just strum right here. And I'll show them that doing that one chord, you know most of long-haired country boy. 
all the way through, folks. Say I'm a no good and I'm crazy as a loon. All in the same court. I get drunk in the morning and I get stoned in the afternoon. Still the same chord. Kind of like that old blue tick hand, like lay around in the shade. Still the same chord. And then I show them, you move just these two fingers up to these two strings. Now you got to see. You move these two strings up to these two strings and you got a G. Now, you know most of the albums by Alabama, almost everything Bob Seger plays, tons of Willie Nelson, most of Waylands, and half of my album. And, I, and I'll show them. You go, the difference between, can't you see, Lord, can't you see what that woman's been doing to me? And Sweet Hole Alabama is how you pick it. And I, and I thoroughly enjoy the, the email, the private messages and the things I get where guys will be saying, Hey, you know, thanks, man. I'm, I'm, we're, we have never used our fire pit. Now our family goes out there and we use the fire pit and see. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, so some of my, some of my family don't want to sing because they sing off key. I said, there is no such thing as singing off key. You're singing. You're singing. Open up and do it. Yeah. Just open up and do it. I've proven, you know, down here, especially southern Utah, gets the weather gets really dry. So on the third set, my voice will just go. And I open up and do it anyway. And everybody loves it as much as they did those ones that that was where the voice was there. The ones that were not, they're perfectly okay with that. It, it it's something. It, music is an easy way to have fun, share with family, and get. The, and another thing is, is I like that over making movies because I like. I'll get all the time. My friends will say, "Oh, dude, I saw you in this movie. You were amazing. You were great." A movie I did a year ago, or two years ago, or a television series or something. And I'm a little bit of a narcissist, so I think, huh. I wish I'd have been there to see you see me in that movie. Yeah. I wish I would have got that interaction. That thing. But in the crowd, I get that interaction. And and I get what I call social distance hugs out of making my music. Because yeah. you're out there and you connect with people. You touch them. You, you do something that right now is missing terribly in our society. One of the things that's been really overlooked, everybody's talking about COVID and this and that and everything, the deaths caused by COVID, the vaccine versus not the vaccine and all the political horseshit with it. And what's been totally ignored is the number of COVID-related suicides. I'm I'm working right now with a foundation called Life's Worth Living that uh, uh, does suicide prevention. And just in talking with this man, just simple little things that uh, you can do to be to help prevent suicide in, in a friend or whatever. And uh, um, it, it's it was amazing the things that I didn't know. And in this thing, you run into people, you, I'm sure you have that yeah. just seem so depressed. You go, well, I'm worried. 
I'm worried, but you don't say nothing. What this organization does is encourage you to say, hey, are you thinking about suicide? That's the first step. Go ahead and ask them. And, you know, like, a a lot of people don't ask that question because they don't want to know. Like, like, like right now with Matthew, I'm sitting here thinking, I I would like to ask him if he's visualizing me naked, but I think, no, I probably am. I would rather, I would probably rather not know. know, (laughs) There's something that's just better that I don't know. And, and see, and like, that's a little example right now where myself, my way around, confronting something like that head on is to make a joke just like I just did right in the middle of something very serious but then they say the next thing to do is to say so if you've thought about this have you planned it have you planned how you'll do it and all of this stuff and if they have planned it that's when you gotta that's when you gotta intervene that's where there's you know, numbers and things like that that will that, that will help and and uh, I, I just I just think it's awesome and so I, I love the fact that we're going to do our country roads music festivals and the 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 profits from it is going to Life's Worth Living Foundation and yeah. it's just I, I couldn't be happier about it. Yeah, that's very cool. And it's good that they're making like note of that because I do think that that is the most difficult part of it is like that opening of the discussion of it. Cause like, you know, people will see people in a dark place and they might not want to go to that dark place with them or they might just not, they don't want to say something that might make them feel worse. You know what I mean? So it's good that there's like people out there that are trying, you know, really thinking about the appropriate ways to handle the situation. You know, because I think everybody kind of deals with it. If they're not dealing with, with a depression than personally themselves. And they're definitely affected by somebody close around them. You know, I, yeah. I think, I think it's like a, like I, I consider depression almost like the flu in a way where yeah, it just kind of travels around in, yeah, in the air, you know what I mean? It's contagious. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, if you, if you know of anyone who is not depressed, that means they won the Powerball and we should hit them up to fund our movies. <laughs> I like that. I like exactly. that. You know, yeah. <laughs> they got something going on. Yeah. Or the greatest actors of all. Exactly. <laughs> Never do know. Never do know. So, yeah, um, <coughs> let's pop into some acting real quick. Phenomenal actor over there, Tom. Phenomenal. You know what yeah. I mean? One of the first films that I seen was some Halloween Curse of Michael Myers being a horror fan, being a horror fan that I am. And I love the Curse of Michael Myers. Some people say that's not their favorite in the series, but I think that one's good times. I love his whole appearance and movements a lot in that one. And it's the most, some of his most vicious kills, I will say. Yeah. How that yeah, they, you know, I, mine was definitely a vicious kill. They, you know, spun my head and my spinal cord went out the back of that and, uh, uh, you know, that was the first time they ever talked me into doing conventions. And, and here's, here's what you'll find interesting. So, so, uh, people started approaching me to do conventions after I did Runaways, Marvel Runaway and Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff like that. But at the conventions, still today, my number one selling snapshot 
is Halloween 6. I believe it. A movie I was in for 30 seconds. It's the fandom of that, you know, how those horror the, fans. The, love the it. first guy that got me to go to, uh, he kept calling me for the 10 years of terror and the 15 years of terror, you know, and said, well, you, you ought to come to this. I said, I think you got the wrong guy. I was in for like 30 seconds. Nope, you got people that want your autograph. And they, I said, you, you, I, I was just sure that he confused me with someone else. Yeah. You know, and uh, finally it was on the 25 years of terror that he calls me up and he says, look, here's the deal. People are taking pictures with your goddamn head. And your head made $6,000 at the last convention. Shit. <laughs> your, your head, which we have. Yeah, yeah. He says, if you'll come sign autographs, we will print off your screen snaps and have your head there to take pictures with. And it's all yours. Word up. So I thought, well, if... I had to weigh this out as an actor. I thought, okay, so I go there and I I have a problem with charging people for autographs. Yeah. Because I think, God, they're your fans. They already made you. They bought the ticket. Absolutely. Yep. But you have to at, yeah. these, at the conventions. And um, so I, and I'm thinking, uh, okay, so my head made $6,000. Um, so I could technically say I made $6,000 for giving head. <laughs> Not a bad deal. And, uh, you know, uh, but anyway, um, so, so I hope I'm not messing up your show and causing your editor. This is the show. This is beautiful. Hey, this is beautiful. This is great stuff. Okay. So anyway, so I go to that convention, this kid shows up. Wants me to autograph six posters. And you have to charge like 40 bucks for doing it. You have to. That's the deal with the convention because you're pissed off. Oh, so I said, bro, let me just sign one of them. You don't want me to sign all these. Goes, oh, I do, but I do. And I said, why? He says, right now, without your signature on there, he says, I will get about $2,800 a piece for these. He said, once I have your signature, I have the entire cast, the directors, everything. I will get thirty-five to 4000 a piece for them. The guilt of charging him $40 for that thing went right out the door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I signed away. <laughs> and... uh Horror film fans are devoutly loyal, uh, you know, and and I got a weak spot for the independent horror films. Kevin Kangas did I did Fear of Clowns two with him for Lionsgate, and then he wrote Bounty, which was a spoof on Don the Bounty Hunter, but a, a horror film. And and talk about smart filmmaking. He knew he didn't have the really have the budget he wanted, yeah. so he shot it like. Life, like it was a reality show where bad sound, bad lighting is perfectly acceptable. Running around with uh, the HVX 200, you remember them? 
Yeah. Panasonic. Good, good, good. Yeah, but they, uh, the latitude on them is zero. Yeah. Yeah, you know. I remember those, that's the era we popped in, I think. Yeah. Back in the, this was 15 years back. The, um, yeah, the India, yeah, I'm glad you appreciate the indie horror. You know, they're out there doing it. You got to be creative, you know what I mean, when you when you don't have the funds to compete with bigger budgeted horror films in any type yeah, of genre, I, realistically. I, I, I think, like, the main, you know... Uh-oh. Uh-oh, he froze. Look at him, he's, he Deep fell asleep budget. in the middle of it. You look like you fell asleep, you nodded off. Eric, Eric, Erica Summers did a film with me called Obsidian. Mm-hmm. And I read the script, and when I found out she was going to do it on this horrendously low budget, I begged her not to. Then I got some producers involved who would raise her budget. But then they started taking over the script and redoing it. And I said, no, no. And they said, well, we want somebody else to direct. No. So she got her deal back and went uh, another direction with it and fortunately still involved me. And um, But I was on the set of Swamp Thing mm-hmm. and I was on the set of Obsidian where she made the creature. Yeah. I'm sorry, but her creature was more impressive, more real than their creature. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was mind blown. And she literally, a two man, you know, she had a lighting person. She's the director, camera, everything. But, uh, I like, I, I got a soft spot for the indie films because I just, like to help the underdog, but especially when they've got a great project, you know, and um, uh, I talked to a guy the other day and he's got this project he wants to do. And I said, this is really well written. And he goes, yeah, we're just, we're going to cheat this uh, warehouse for this. And, and I said, what, and what are you shooting on? He says, cause we don't really actually have the cabin. And I said, what are you shooting on? And he goes, well, we got the 7D, Canon 7D. And I went, okay, I, you can do that. Mm. Um, they work great for headshots. Yeah. Um, but, um, and I read the project, saw what he's doing and everything like this. And I says, okay, I'll get involved. Here's the condition. We use the black magic, my camera, my lenses, my lighting kits. And that location is not the location. Here's pictures of the location. I said, where's this location at? That's four miles from you. Said, Are you kidding me? He says, it, it, it looks haunted. It looks like a hellhole. And I says, it is. And it might be haunted. Could very well be haunted. I do know for a fact there was a gunfight in that living room and six people were killed. It's haunted then, yeah. And you know what his question was of that? What? He goes, Did you kill him? 
Well, you know, I'm, I'm, see what you think of me, but no. <laughs> Tell him you killed him. Flip it on him and say, no, you killed him. You don't remember that night? Remember that? Yeah. That was a crazy night. Very crazy <laughs> night. Yeah. Yeah, it's good though, the NDV. You know, that's a lot of the, it's tough because, you know, when when money, more money comes into it, like you said, more producers come in and they want to kind of tweak it. And you almost can't blame a producer because they're putting money in and they want to, they, you know, but they, you know, they want to be creative as well. But, you know, they're kind of, there's a yin and a yang. There's like the funds and then the creative and they got to work together to make the good product. And sometimes, yeah. If, yeah. if the producer brings the funds, then they can call themselves a producer. But every time I see a producer wanting to get involved, I have producers wanting to get involved in my albums, wanting to get involved in my shit. And I say, what exactly is it that you're going to produce besides a business card that says you're a producer? Yeah. Yeah. And the receipt for what you got to pay him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, the bottom, that's the bottom line. And that's like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very tricky. With music, I've never done the music thing, but I can only assume because music – you know, it feels a little more intimate than film can be. Like if you hit film right on, you can hit that emotion. You can tap into that emotion. But I think with music, you know, it's a little not easier, but like it's more, you know, there's a thing they say about how music is, you can, it's like magic where you can't physically touch it. You know what I mean? You can't see it, but you can feel it like in your heart, you hear it and it makes you feel all these emotions. Um, yeah, I, I had a trouble with the studio in Nashville this time around because, uh, they couldn't. I couldn't get them to grasp the vision of my my music. So here's what happened: when I after I'd won my guitar, I was down in New Orleans, and I I lived in the Treme because I didn't have a lot of money, and uh, I'd be playing my guitar, and there was this guy next door that would be just rattling off these heavy metal leads. It was the most nerve wracking shit on the planet. And uh, if he if he didn't shut down at night when I wanted to go to sleep, I you know I would go just go tell him you got to shut down. I need some sleep. And he was a ex marine that was in a wheelchair. And he come over and says, "Dude, you got to come play with me." He made his living as a street musician, and he'd go down there and just play rip off these heavy metal leads. And I think most of the tips he was making was because he was. Uh, ex marine and the business there, uh, businesses there were saying, Oh my god, that guy plays anymore. That you know, they, they just didn't really necessarily want him there, but he had a prime spot which was on uh, St. Peter's and Royal, right across from the Royal Oyster House. Yeah, so a lot of foot traffic, everything like that. He says, Come play, we'll make a lot of money. I said, Uh, can you play country leads? No, but it won't matter. Uh, yeah, it matter. So finally, I decided just to do it to help him out. He went down there and he was hammering off metal leads to my country music, and it worked. It was this crossbred outlaw country with Ozzy Osbourne involved. Yeah, and uh, and when I tried to. Explain so that's what I hear in my head. And when I tried to explain that to them, they had a rough time getting it. 
I've got one song that's coming out that you'll hear and you go, oh my God, it's, it's an Ozzy Osbourne type lead. And it's got three black gospel singers. And everybody said, you're, you're, nobody will know what genre you're in. I said, I'm okay with that. Still, uh, you know, nobody, one of the, one, one guy that thought he was insulting, one of the best compliments he told, told me on Facebook, he says, sent me a private message, says, dude, you gotta make a stand, man. With your comments, I can't tell if you're a Republican or a Democrat. I said, well, thank you. Yeah. I <laughs> thank you. It's a weird time. I don't know why anybody in the in the light would choose a side because you're even if you know you're just kind of cutting down your your audience because there's certain people that feel certain ways and I don't know you know if I had a gigantic fan base I definitely even if I felt a certain way I don't think I would knowing that other people that like my stuff feel differently I wouldn't want to like you know be crazy with them because then you're going to lose all them for what not something that is going to be completely different in four years and nobody's going to care about anyways, but that hate they have for you now will last forever. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's pretty much true. I, I, uh, voice my opinion way too often, um, you know, on, on things, but, uh, like, and it's weird because I had, you had an amazing number of people that would private message me on Facebook, Instagram, and say, hey, who are we voting for? Yeah. And, and I would say, here's some things to look at. Search your heart of hearts. Mm-hmm. And I said, but I vote for a man. I vote for a, a person, not a party. Right. You know, I am not... You know, it it just makes no sense to me. Right. But because of my music being what it is, and my my song "The Working Man" got got tons of play, and because of the you know politic politics, and everybody said, "Well, that's the Republicans that are just buying that and and everything like this," and some people say. No, it's the Democrats. And, and when I, you know, on uh, Distro Kid, you can actually track your demographic where it is. Mm. And it was both sides thinking it was, it, that the song was in favor of their beliefs. Mm. And it's, it is simple. It's not anybody's political beliefs. It's simple. Working man is the name of the song, and it's about the working men and women of America. So if if you go to a job or somebody else writes your check, you're going to like that song, right? Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> exactly. mean the thing is, honestly, uh, when you boil down to whether it's art, whether it's music, acting, film, whatever, I mean, you can have two different opposing sides that don't agree on anything and look at the same piece of art, same type of music. And be like, oh, this speaks to me. Exactly. And, yeah. And and I think that's that's probably the most important and probably the best thing ever is when you're able to make something that brings people together, mm. especially if they're on totally opposite sides, whether it's political, whether it's you know religious, whether it's any kind of uh, belief system. 
And I think that's 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 a great testament. I mean, it, it is. And when we when we did the music video for the Working Man, and you see that you know Tom Proctor show on YouTube, mm-hmm. there was involved in that music video was extreme right and extreme left. There was like no one that was in the middle when we first started doing that yeah. that video. By the time we got done with the video, they all decided they were purple. Yeah, and, and uh, it, it, which was, you know, to me, really, really great and a good, uh, a good accomplishment. And yeah. uh, you know, we I, I think it's a matter. We need more movies because, you know, I'm just getting upset with Netflix. I mean. That's <laughs> Yeah. You know, we we need more content out there. We need more musical events. We need the connection to art and to the artists more. And that's a that just seems to be music and art in general. Just seems to be a good common ground to put this country back together. Yeah, and yeah. unfortunately, too many people uh, seem to be so divided that you know they're. I mean, like you said, you have, you know, you got the right and you got the left both, you know, claiming your song as like for them instead of looking at it that this song speaks to the working man, speaks to everyone who, you know, is is struggling. So, I mean, I, I mean art brings people together, but also people have to get out of their own way to look at, yeah. at, at the art. As an overall, not as a political um, a commentary and all that, but look at what it is, what it is truly saying to try to bring people together. Yeah, yeah. it's true. You know, I wanted yeah. to ask. I wanted to ask about a couple directors that I'm a fan of. I, yeah. I wish you, you were on uh, uh, Django Unchained. Mm-hmm. Uh, any good stories from the set or working with the Mr. Tarantino? Okay, Tarantino is another, I think he's an alien. (laughs) I really do. It was really interesting to see him and Bruce Dern try to stump each other with different trivia. And it was a battle of great minds. And, uh, uh, when I got on that, uh, I was in California, and uh, a stunt buddy of mine called me and says, Tom, take a selfie right now and send it to me, right this minute. <laughs> and I said, I just woke up. He goes, exactly. Take a selfie and send it to me. Like, Fine. And I sent him one of my butthole. And, uh, <laughs> and he goes, no, I'm serious. Send me a selfie. Okay. And I uh, uh, same one, and he goes, "Can you be in New Orleans tomorrow?" And I says, "Sure, why?" He goes, "I'm going to be on a Tarantino film." I great, and uh, I found out that what was happening was they were hiring cowboys to do the 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 uh, Ku Klux Klan and yeah. horsemen, and they wanted guys on horseback. And Tarantino says, don't we have any ugly cowboys that we need? I mean, these got to be ugly men. 
And Tanner and and my friends, I know where you can get you an ugly one. <laughs> and he had me sending that picture. And uh but uh he would on set several times go, Where's my ugly guy? Hey, okay, you right, you're right up front, you come up here. And uh and he has this tendency to he is a master at filmmaking and making people love the filmmaking process. And he would turn around to the entire crew and go, should we do another take of that? And everybody would yell, yeah, why? Because we love making movies. And he had music playing in between. Three, the sections that I saw, three cameras on set, three top-notch DPs, yet Quentin Tarantino's eye is going to be in every camera. Uh, yeah, we had a thing where I kicked the heck out of Jamie Foxx, and I, oh, what's the guy? I made a comment of, I said, so is this kind of like, um, I'm drawing blanks on the name now, the the, the guy that the, they beat up in California. And Rodney Boston. King? Rodney <laughs> King? Was or... it Rodney Oh, no, newer? No. Well, this would have been before yeah, Rodney, George Floyd. Yeah, Rodney King. Cl- Rodney Cl- King, yeah. Yeah. I said, this is kind of like the Rodney King scene, and, you know, you're on the set of a slave movie. Yeah. So, silence and mm. dirt looks. And then Quentin pops up and goes, yeah, this is our Rodney King scene. <laughs> and suddenly it was funny. Everybody laughs. Of course. When Tom Proctor said it, it was politically incorrect. <laughs> but if, <laughs> if Quentin said it, it was, it was, of course, the exact right thing to do. Of course. I, I just an incredible man. Yeah. Had, uh, an absolute love of making a movie and keeping, likes people happy and well taken care of while he does it. Was he playing Morricone scores or was he playing regular just music music on set? It was all over the place. Yeah. It was whatever, I don't know, it was, you know. Like band stuff or just like, you know, scores? Or everything? No, like uh, Top 40 Hits, one things, one, some was uh, pop culture and then there were some alternative and you know, he had a DJ on set. Oh, yeah, DJ Stan the Man. That would been cool. Um, yeah. Uh, Django was good times. I, I, You know, I'm a big fan of Tarantino, and I tell Alex this all the time, you know, like I almost feel like Django was a resurfacing in a way for QT because, you know, Death Proof came out, and it's I, you, I rewatched it later, and I, I, liked, I liked it at the time, but it was like it fell a little short of a typical Tarantino movie. And then Inglorious Bastards came out, or vice versa, they were flipped. Mm-hmm. And with Inglorious Bastards, I remember like half of the movie was really good, and then the other half I wasn't, you know, jiving with. But when he did Inglor- um, did Django, I was like, all right, he's back in action. You know what I mean? Like I really Django is probably one of my top three favorite films of his. You know, great movie. Yeah, Tarantino's the man, you know, and he's, you know, I'm glad that he has a good environment like that. You know, I've heard he's a big film fan himself, so, like, it's good that you don't hear bad, you know, bad stories. No, he, uh, he is, 
what his, his his position has not gone to his head. Yeah. Other than the fact that he thinks budgets does not apply to him. Right. <laughs> yeah. And if you make the kind of money that Tarantino does on his films, then budgets probably don't apply to you. Oh yeah. The uh, he, he he's one of the you know it's funny because Tarantino is one of those dudes that some people like to hate every now and then for whatever reason. We love him here. Um, I said what I said about those films, but we still love them. But uh, yeah, Tarantino's like you got to respect it. He, you know, he kind of came from nothing, mm-hmm. and he he went to the heights. Like, there's none bigger than Tarantino. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah it's cool. And uh, you know, you can always if he puts out a movie, you know, you're not going to be disappointed. If you're going to go see it, you're going to have fun. You're going to enjoy it. You know what I mean? Which you can't say that for everybody making films nowadays. Yeah, I've worked with some really great directors, and then there were great directors, and I've worked with great directors that were also great people, and and uh, people had really good people skills on set and kept yeah. attitudes up. James Gunn is phenomenal that way. Oh, yeah. Want to talk and, about uh, James Gunn, yeah. You know, uh, John Hillcoat is a, in a... In a uh, calmer version, you know, but he's really caring and, and very detailed. Yeah. Carrie Funkanaga is uh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Kangas, I would just, I've always said, if I ever win the Powerball, I'm going to take $2 million and hand it to Kangas to see what he does. Yeah. Because he just, he's the epitome of a sick and twisted horror guy. Yeah. And, you know, does them on these really low, low budgets. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to check into him. But, yeah, I appreciate those folks that, you know, we've said, we've been told that about our films, not, you know, that we, we can take a little bit of money and make it look like we had more. So I always appreciate those filmmakers that can do that because you'll stumble into people that need you need $300,000 to make a movie that looks like $50,000. There's people like that, you know what I mean? Well, um, Kev, Kevin's, I'm not going to say his looks like he had more money. Yeah. There's a thing that I learned early on. Yeah. More important than how much money you have or what you're doing. And that is, with the lack of money, there's a lot of things you can't fix. Kevin Kangas is the epitome of he's learned if you can't fix it, feature it. Right. Bounty couldn't fix that he didn't have the money for lighting and sound. And so he wrote the screenplay around featuring just that. Yeah. You know, and it made it look so intentional. And, you know, and he knew where to dump his money. You know, he did a fear of clowns. He knew he didn't have a lot of money for a lighting package and everything like that. So instead of being his own DP, he, um, I have to take this just real quick. Okay. Hey, how you doing? No, I'm I'm on uh, Zoom right now with the, the thing. Where are you at? 
Okay. Okay. Hey. Drive careful, drive safe. If you let anything happen to you, my life is ruined. Okay, I love you. Bye-bye. Yes, I'm pussy whips. Fuck off. Love's a beautiful thing, man. It don't matter. That's all that matters in life. You know what I mean? They say that why, why can money not buy love? Because it's the only thing that matters. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is oh. true. But go, yeah, you jump about it. real quick. Um, you brought up James Gunn, who's gigantically maybe the, you know heavyweight. Him and Tarantino do the kings of the, the the world right now. What was it like to work with James Gunn? He seems like a mellow dude, cool, fun. He's cool and fun. Uh, he did. He gave. Uh, he, he would hand out play doh to different actors after difficult scenes, hmm. and. Uh, and it was almost to get. I didn't get play doh, but but uh, to get play doh from him would be like winning a, an Oscar, because you know he would say, "Go play there, get back in touch with your," you know. Uh, and the thing that I loved most, the I, I had these contacts and was supposed to get blue faced like the guy in the thing with me. When I come out there during the rehearsals, walking through, it says. They said, okay, we've got to take him in and get this. And he goes, no, I don't want to do anything but enhance the scars he already has. They said, not in the contact, not in the contacts. He's, you know, so uh, that, you know, convention-wise, my role was decent enough in there but small enough that if I had been an unrecognizable blue guy, yeah, uh, I I probably wouldn't do as well at the conventions, and wouldn't it wouldn't have helped my career as much. Yeah, it was like a blessing in disguise. My face was there is uh, is is perfect. It's funny, yep. yeah, you're the only person not made up in the scene. You know what I mean? Yep, at all. They're all like stars that I already had. And just made them show up more. They give you any hard times jokingly behind the scenes that you're, you're the only one allowed to use your real face and they're all covered. It could be anybody. There, there was a lot of comments that, yeah, James <laughs> thought you was ugly and intimidating enough without, uh, you know. I just hate. But, you know, that is something that I don't take as an insult or anything. I When I get a, an audition and I see... The three, you know, they give a character description. He's 45 to 50. He's this, this, and this. And when in the character description, there's these three words, big, ugly, and intimidating, I know I'm going to get that role. Yeah. Uh, the audition for the role of is on uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, right on the audition, it said no one under 6'4". Hmm. I'm 6'1". But casting called me in anyway. Because she said, intimidation is more important than height and size. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Face is everything. I tell Alex that all the time. (laughs) Was Guardians mainly green screen the entire thing? Or was it, uh, I know some of it are, you know, actual locations, but the majority was like all those other planet stuff. Was that, what was that? Let me just tell you, I got a definite, definite 
different version of what is green screen than anybody else. If you watch the bloopers, I marched uh, uh, Michael Rucker right off onto the green screen. Yeah. Uh, Which was his fault because... I, they said, okay, he's going to come and he's going to stop you right here. And I said, so you want me to stop right here? And he goes, don't worry about that. I'll stop you. And I said, you'll stop me. I said, so you want me to stop when you, when you stop me? Cause don't just come. I'll stop you. I said, <laughs> yeah. You do know that I'm not on the slim fast program. <laughs> and, uh, he goes, no, I, I can stop you. Well, okay. <laughs> now I'm easy. If somebody tells me, you're stopped here. I'm an actor. I'm a stunt guy. I'll take the hit. But if you tell me, do not stop, let me stop you. I'm going to do that too. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> and, and so I marched him right off the, right off the screen with it. But it, a lot of the thing was there. The little area was walking through the stairs and they had the set built in, in Warner Brothers studio. But the one that surprised me when I when I I thought when it came to flying the ship, you're gonna be sitting out there in a chair in a green screen room, right? Yeah. Uh uh-uh. uh. A full size damn ship. Really? Yeah. Uh and you can there's no guesswork. It's almost like it was set up like a flight simulator. I, I had no eyelines already set up, everything's it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I, I knew my ship got shot down and I got killed. And I went back to James Gunn. And I says, so this is my ship? This is Horace's ship? And he goes, yeah, that's Horace's ship. I said, you better rewrite this script. He said, why is that? And I says, because if this is my ship, I'm going to shoot down everybody else and become the number one bad Marvel bad guy because I'll just kill everybody with this damn ship. <laughs> uh, I says, I got a single engine pilot license. I'm a crop duster. I'll be like Dennis Quaid on Independence Day. I'll just fly <laughs> off. And... Yeah, fuck yeah. Good old Dennis Quaid in Independence Day. Wait, it wasn't Dennis, though. It was his brother. Ray, uh, no, it was Dennis. No, it was Randy. It was Randy. Randy yeah. Quaid. Randy Quaid. Yeah. I keep, I keep saying Dennis, too. Yeah. Randy, we don't see much of Randy anymore. Well, you you know why, right? Well, we know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. taking a vacation from reality for a little bit, but he'll be back. You also got to work with the great Cohen brothers, which was fantastic. You know what I yeah. mean? I love that. That was on Netflix. Speaking of Netflix, that was on Netflix, and that was one of the best things to come to Netflix in a long time. Oh, it was fun. Yeah, uh, I I first worked with them on a Super Bowl commercial. Really. Yeah, it was a, uh, it's a, you, you can, you can just Super Bowl, uh, the Mercedes, the whole thing was, you know, shows a bunch. Of, and it was, this was what was fun. It was all the guys I ride with. You, you just lined up a bunch of bikers were down in this thing and they're playing Born to Ride, you know. Uh, no, not Born to Ride. That's my song. Um, <laughs> what's the other one? Oh, uh, Born to be wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're playing that. Me and another biker in there, we're, we give each other a hug and our, our necklaces thing, and we start a fight. There's a couple of guys arm wrestling, just just typical biker fighting and stuff like this. And some guy comes in the door and says, you're blocked in. And everybody goes, blocked in, blocked in. And we run out, and there's this Mercedes that have blocked the bikes in. 
Now, if you've been around bikers, you block their bikes in. You better never come back and get that car. Right. <laughs> but everybody's all puffed up and ready to fight, and here comes Jane Fon- James Fonda. You know, I mean Peter Fonda. He's uh, easy rider. Yeah, easy rider. You know, Peter Fonda comes out, and uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, looking good. <laughs> And you know, off he goes, and and that was a Cohen Brothers thing. But we had so much fun because we all rode down together, stayed in hotels together. They did a bunch of behind the scenes riding that, you know, I don't know what they were doing with, but, um, you know, so so that was the first time I worked with them. Then the Ballad of Buster Scruggs came out, and I know the Cohen Brothers. I know they like to use the same people. And there was a casting director in New Mexico that I don't know what the deal was. And I kept trying to get an audition with them. Couldn't get an audition. And finally said, look, I've worked with the Coen brothers. I know they're going to want to see my audition. Mm. So I sent her an audition and nothing. And then all of a sudden my manager calls me and says, where are you at? And I said, I'm in Los Angeles, just landed. She said, the Cohen brothers are wondering why they can't get an audition from you. <laughs> I said, they have an audition from me. And I, she says, apparently not. The casting never sent it in, didn't like your audition. And I said, okay, what's the fix? She said, well, they're doing auditions right now. Here's the address. I walked in and was pretty much a done deal. And all of those guys, all my bad guys that are with me were all also in that uh, commercial. Word up. Nice. You know, they, they, they're, they're really down to earth, loyal people that like to work with the same people. Yeah. What's the, what's the dynamic of that? Cause I know the Cohen brothers come as like a team, but I believe Joel's more of the director and then Ethan kind of, you know, maneuvers on, like, talks to the actors or something? What's the dynamic of them as brothers on set? It's almost like they could finish each other's sentence. They're they're a cohesive single... I worked on another film that had two directors, and it was a nightmare. Yeah, I can imagine. It was a nightmare. Uh, Because they were not cohesive. And I worked on uh, Heathens and Thieves, a little indie film, they had a male and female director, and it was amazing because they each they had either subliminally or previously agreed to section off this to that. But um, uh, the Cohen brothers definitely have their thing, their way of of doing things, and each of them. But it, but it, but it's like you don't really know. I can't compartmentalize who was doing what, mm-hmm. but they didn't step on each other, and the goal was the same. Yeah, yeah. I think they write together, and then yeah, they they've been doing it for like thirty plus years, so they they got their formula figured out. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been, I've turned down roles for co-directing before because it's so. And unless you live with that person, like I assume when they're collaborating on a film, they're like in it every day. You know what I mean? And it's just weird. That, they they would have to be to be that cohesive. Yeah, 
for sure. You know, um, uh, that's the only thing I think they would they would really have to be to be as cohesive as they are. Yeah. The um, are you by? Do you have any other favorite segments to that anthology, or yours? Yours. I, I keep thinking it's because I was in mine. I, I think mine was the best one. Yeah. And, and of course, friends confirm that. Yeah. Um, but because I'm a fan of the old spaghetti westerns, I like the miner, the guy with the mine, the, the miner that was, you know, dig gold digging and all that. Oh, stuff. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a good one too. The Liam yeah. Neeson one's creepy too. I always bring up how dark that is. With, with yeah, that without... one. That uh, one went too dark for me for a western. Yeah, you know? kind of, I like kind of how it would make sense to the the the, the this like the the loss of value of life don't mean anything type aspect of the West. You know what I mean? And how he's just using that dude for money, and then when he realizes he don't he don't have to he don't have to listen to the chicken talk. He just gets rid of the dude. Yeah, that's yeah. troublesome. But that was very good. I love that. That was a good time. Alex, how you doing over there, bud? I'm doing good. I gotta say, uh, you've got some of the most amazing stories, and and what a, what a life, man. Yeah. And it's, I gotta say, I. Uh, what are your plans? I know that uh, I think you have a film you're uh, directing uh, called uh, Guilt that you're yep. working on right now. How's that, how's that going? We've got a couple more pickup shots uh, of that. And uh, my main star has been uh, finicky and uh, prima donna to deal with uh, because of the heat. Uh Went to do the pickup shot one time, and they, well, we did a lot of start and stop, start and stops, you know. And uh, so we burned out our starter motor, and the battery went. And we went to get a pickup shot, and the starter motor was a no-go. Small town had to order, order her a new starter motor. And, you know, and, you know, she's finicky. She wouldn't settle for a rebuild. She had to have a new one, you know. And then her her tires got road rot, rot on this last thing, just from the dry weather, weather cracked and blew out. So she's down there getting a new set of white wells on right now. And, you know, now I have arranged for her to have her own dressing room with a cooler now. Yeah. So, so this week she should be okay to shoot those finishing shots. And, yeah, keep her uh, well oiled, I heard, too. Yeah, oh, she was, yeah, she just got a new oil change and <laughs> Builders, all that stuff. We'll be, we did the tranny in her. Well, that's well, that's big. Redoing the tranny for for a gig. That's pampering for sure. That's definitely pampering. Oh. I hope she can appreciate these things. Well, that, this is mine and her wedding ring right there. That's, that's oh, I like it. The engine. That, that's the motor. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's very beautiful. Alex, I know you had basket questions. Did you ever get a chance to? Uh, no, not yet. Um, I uh, noticed that you were on the uh, TV series Baskets uh, with uh, Zach Galifianakis and I think Louis Anderson. Louis Anderson. Uh, so how was that? I mean, I can I can just imagine. I mean, 
those two are, you know, very, you know, interesting comedians. I mean, how was that working with those two? It was like going around family who do not think they're big movie stars at all. Yeah. At all. Very down to earth. Louis Anderson was nothing short of wonderful. And, it, you know, I'm still kind of pissed because I, I think I should have got some kind of award for that series. Yeah. You know, but they, they don't have that award out yet. You know, I, I think they need to come up with an award for the most bodily functions in a series. <laughs> and, and if they do, you know, by God, I win hand down, you know. <laughs> I think the Emmys are adding that this year. Yeah, they, bodily fluids. Yeah. yeah, well, they got to make it retroactive so I can win on baskets. But uh, <laughs> it was that whole show was weird from the get go because the audition was no dialogue. Yeah, most of the episodes are no dialogue. It's all reaction to and yeah. And, but you know, it's one of those things where uh, he's always he's a drunk. Bingo's always drunk, so he's throws up. He's Pissing on a wall, shits in a horse trough, um, throws up, uh, belches, spits tobacco, all this stuff. Mm. And I think in five, six, seven episodes, however many episodes I did, yeah. I think there's a total of four lines of dialogue. Mm. So the script's just real bare bones and just kind of a structure of what they want you to do and let you go wild with it? Or what's the actual script consist of? No, there's a script and it's, yeah. it's there and it, you know, they've got the reactions that they want and uh, stuff like that. And it's, but, but they used a lot of non, I don't know if I dare say this, but basically non-actors, the old cowboy him, they there was no point in trying to tell him. Just let him run a bunch yeah. of until one of them was funny because he was just an old guy. Uh, that actually, you know, this, you know, this, so there's all the time we're at farting and and so I think he thought that was his job because uh, every once in a while he would just the room would fill up. He goes, "Well, says he farts," so I thought, <laughs> you know, and, and he just, but. The one that that really kind of amazed me was the girl Martha, the, the the insurance salesman. That because as an actor, I said, I thought, how much courage did it take to go into an audition? I'll think about this. You're going in to do an audition. How much courage would you have to have? To make the choice to play it. Well, um, you know, I could, uh, I could like give you a ride if you want, mm. you know, um, it's really not any trouble. I thought that was brilliant. Because I always look for in an audition a way to separate myself from the other people. Yeah. Do something different. I When I acting coach people, I tell them, 
come up with four ways that you think is right and at least one that you think is wrong, the wrong intention, the wrong way to do it. Do it the wrong way for Phil at least get the call back. Yeah. Because everybody else is going to do it the right way, the way it's written. So I thought, man, she went with the wrong way and and landed it. Landed a lead role on a series with Zach Galvanakis. You look on her IMDb, there's literally nothing else there. Before that. Then I met her on set. And she comes over and she goes, so I heard that um, you did a, like a lot of stunt work and, you know, I was just um, curious is that scary? And I'm like, holy shit, this is just who she is. <laughs> I love just seeing that. Yeah. Who she is. I love seeing but stuff. It is, yeah. it is the best acting Clint Eastwood never acted like anybody but Clint Eastwood. Right. That's true. You know, and, and you, you believe it. I had an actor tell, you know, tell me one time, he says, he says, I don't get it. You, you, I, I walk into an audition, he walks into the audition. And when I walk in, you can literally watch him melt. This mm. guy. He'll go, shoots himself in the foot the minute he does that. Yeah. But, he says, okay, Tom, you know, he says, I know you coach people. He says, I, I want to get some coaching from you. I, I can't figure this out. We go in to play a bad guy. We go in to play a killer. I audition, you audition every time you get it. Why is that? What, what am I doing wrong? I said, well, Eric, let me ask you this. How many people have you killed? He goes, you, you mean in movies? I said, no. How many movies? I mean, how many people have you killed? He says, well, none. I go, guess I'm just going to keep getting those roles, huh? <laughs> so your suggestion is go kill people? I said, I would start with bunnies. <laughs> Pick a bunny. I don't recommend people unless you, you know, go to some of the places I've been and, you know, Get away with that, but um, bunnies start with bunnies, yeah. <laughs> and, you know. And it's like, how many bar fights have you been, and how many times have you, you know, life does matter in the acting world. It does Look I'm not recommending that drug addicts go beyond drugs, but you might want to take the time to study the the actions of somebody. Is I've I've three different times got audition where I got to audition for a meth addict. And two of those times, the one time I didn't even get, know why I didn't get the role. Two of them, I got feedback from casting and they both said the same thing. He looks like the guy who killed the drug addict, not the drug addict. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> Was that kill your local heroin dealer? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, what was the most nervous you've been before, um, out of all these things, you know, your first time stepping on stage to perform, um, stepping, knowing that you had a big scene with a big act, a big director or actor across from you, um, stepping into the, uh, the fight, the first time you stepped in to fight, fight and the ring, you know, one of those things, yeah. 
you could be missing some. But out of those things, what's more ner- what was more nerve wracking? Do you remember if it was even nerve wracking? You know, for the first time showing up to those th- those those things, which was more of like a, you felt more of a nervous thing. Uh, watching my kids be born. There you go. I I, I just was amazed and thought this is where something could go south. Yeah. Quick. And I've never had the privilege of being nervous on stage or even in a fight. There's there's no way for me to be nervous about a fight because I don't care. Yeah. If I'm going to go in a fight, I'm going to have a good time. Right. I'm win, lose, or draw, but I'm going to have a good time. Uh, on on stage, I want it to be good, um, but I don't get nervous about it. Uh, I got nervous one time in Nashville when halfway through record we we recorded literally two albums in one week, and about halfway through one of the days my voice started going. And my usual answer for that is, you know, a shot of really good bourbon, you know, like three-chord bourbon, um, or Jameson, preferably. I I like three-chord, a strange collaboration. Um, But I knew that early on, if I start relying on Shots to open my voice up, and uh, but I had this other stuff that's a, oh, I don't know, some kind of miracle oil drops stuff and everything like that. And I dumped some of that down my throat and thought, holy crap, I just fried my voice. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's really, really potent. And I was nervous then, thinking, shit, I'm not going to pull out of this, and, you know, I've got my whole budget you know, with, with not working, I had everything I, uh, on the line here. I put the rest of my savings and everything into this album. And a couple sips of water, the voice opened back up, and it was like brand new. I said, ah, it's called Miracle Oil. It really is Miracle Oil, you know. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't get nervous unless, you know, one of my kids are injured or, you know, or when they were born, you know, my, my kids are all over 35 and that, but would you, when one of your kids is sick or hurting, they're always going to be your baby boy or your baby girl. Right. You, you go back to just seeing that and there's no way around it. Yeah. But, I, you know, I if you look on YouTube, Tom Proctor's famous air ratchet. I've done the fa- fastest air ratchet ever done. I've jumped motorcycles. I went across the, the finish line of Bonneville Salt Flats, facing the starting line, and even then, it's like. It's you. It's like you, yeah. so you don't worry as much. But when it's the kids, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but, yep. it's an honorable thing. I, you, you just, you just do. I were, you know, 
uh, and and like right right now, I'm even. It's like people say, "Are you are you concerned about your future and retirement and all that stuff?" And not really. Yeah. Because it's like I said, if God decided my numbers up tomorrow, I would just have to say, "Thanks for the ride, man." You know, I got I got to run ride that big jumbo roller coaster in life. Yeah, the one that goes upside down and all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The uh, I got a quick question for you. Being a, as a musician, you know, might be a far fetched idea or fun question. You know, living or dead as a musician, who would you like to collaborate with, if you could? Michael Whitney. Uh, who's sitting in a shithole in Mississippi, played with all the greats, um, as a gun for hire. And I, ideally, I would love to just get my band all together where we were writing and collaborating together. Yeah. I mean, my, my band is the best of Nashville. They're the, they're the best in the business. And Mark Corradetti's down in Florida, Billy Mason's in Nashville, and, you know, I got people scattered all over California, you know, all, you know, all over. And then we get together, you know, I, I wish we all lived in the same neighborhood. Yeah. And I've even tried to put a band together in this, just in this neighborhood. Yeah. It ain't going to happen. Mm. It's tricky. Yeah. It's, it's hard to lightning in the bottle twice. I mean, you you get get the right people, and and usually can't find anyone to substitute after you've already experienced working with the right people for the right project. Yes, and and music is opposite of film, where the small town mentality will can actually add to a film. Uh, I, I had a band here that I would book the same clubs. They booked the band, um, the club as the band for $300. And they all play with six other bands, so they're never getting tight. I booked a, a club for 700 I booked a backyard party for 1200 and still couldn't make them see that I can't, I can't get you paid like a professional if you're thinking like a hobbyist. Right. You know, um, whereas with film, you know, I, I basically thought like a hobbyist and thought I've got a location that never changes. The weather looks the same all year round. I've locked down these locations. I can shoot it part time. I can, uh, work around my budget, my schedule, everything like that, and still turn out a high level product. You know, but you, you couldn't do that with music. It's true. Yeah. Except for my one man band thing. Yeah. Which you would have to see to believe. I'll tell you the thing. Uh, you know the old Samsonite suitcases? Yeah. Yeah. That they uh 
Samsonite suitcases used to advertise this thing where they'd have this gorilla throw it out of the back of the truck and jump on it because they were the Samsonite Torster vintage thing. They were wood. They were made wood inside. Well, somebody brilliant found out that those were six ply plywood inside, which is the same as a drum set, Ludwig drum set. And, uh, uh, and and so they made uh, took the suitcase, put a drum kicker on it, and I don't know how to do this other than just try to show you on the camera. Oh shit! Nice. So I, got, I had a blue one like that too. I I, ha- I could have the drum pedal, and then the license plate. Combined with the height, with the tambourine makes almost a snare sound. Yeah. And I slam the, the hi hat and make cymbal hits and everything like that. And I just mic that right on my stake. I, this is a new toy that I just got, just, you know, because I get bored and just have to entertain myself. Absolutely. That's cool. I love that. And you play that on the YouTube page? Not yet. I, I just barely got it in. But here's what I'm finding out. Okay, so I drummed. I drummed for Personal Dues Band and, and you know, Saddle Boogie and drummed, you know, for years and years. So I thought, oh, this will be an easy take for me. I'll be able to drum with my feet and play. With the but in reality, when you start drumming with your feet, playing guitar and trying to remember the chords, the words, and all that crap... Yeah. All of a sudden, you're lost in your own song. You got <laughs> there's a little bit of a little bit of a learning curve with it. And I watched a drummer in Nashville play drums and harmonica at the same time. I thought, what kind of brain does a person like that have? An editor's brain. <laughs> That's what that is. You got to be yeah. able to keep two different rhythms almost. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Tom, we've we, we've took up a whole bunch of your time. Yeah. We usually end with one quite one big question for folks, which is, um, you know, as an artiste, you know what I mean. We get a lot of people, you know, filmmakers, actors, musicians, of all, you know, comic book artists, all types of people that listen to the show. Um, do you have any advice? You know, with this business, is so many ups and downs. Do you have any advice for people um, trying to, you know, dealing with the fact that there's so many ups and downs? how to deal with it maybe here's my advice if you're in the film business at all you gotta understand who she is you might say she I said she and you can call it sexist you can call it whatever the hell you want but it is a she and she is the most beautiful sensual adorable and sought after woman on the planet. And she will tease you. And she will make you think that she is yours. And the problem is she belongs to every single artist out there. And she will never age She's always going to be this young, beautiful woman. While you are going to get older and less desirable. 
And she's going to have constant suitors coming after her. And your only defense against those suitors is your last work and the lining up of your next work. And you have to remember that. She's fickle. She's everything you want. And you will sell your soul. You will sell your cars, your Harleys. You will do everything it takes to stay in that game just a little bit longer. And then one day, this God opens up a cloud from on high and drops down the golden plates. And you open up the golden plates and you're going to read the secret of these golden plates. And you open them up and you go, holy crap. Because those plates say, she's nothing without you. And that's the truth. Because no matter how old you are, no matter what you look like, how many broken teeth you got, whether you got scars on your face or don't got scars on your face, she needs the gambit. She is not going to be monogamous. She needs you. You pick out the roles you want and get ready for them. And that dirty little that just played you will bring you those roles because she's got no choice. She can't play them. She can't play anything but the beautiful, wonderful queen of the movie business. And no matter who you are, no matter where you are, don't let anybody tell you you're too old. I got told I was too old to fight and won the heavyweight and super heavyweight title. I got told that I was too old to start in the music business and run one singer of the year, songwriter of the year, and best single of the year. On Kata, country, one of the biggest country music awards. I got told that while we're out of business because of COVID, and I turned around and made a movie. And while we're down with COVID, before the movie business opens up, I went back to Nashville and recorded two more albums. If you realize that as an actor or an artist, no one can be you. That girl Martha on Baskets is a prime example of that. No one could take that role for her because if they tried to, they would be acting like her. No one can be you better than you. And you've heard me cuss a lot on here. And when I was training fighters and even little kids, I cussed. And I would tell them there's two cuss words I don't allow in my dojo. I don't allow in my movie sets. I don't allow in my life. They're dirty little four-letter words. And those words are can't and quit. I do not allow those in my vocabulary. Now there's an exception to every rule, isn't there? <laughs> the only exception to that rule is if you use them both in the same sentence, mm. saying, I can't quit. Goosebumps. Yeah. That's the advice I would give people to realize that you are unique and they can't get you anywhere else. 
I can go make a film with Quentin Tarantino, and I will have made a Quentin Tarantino film. But I haven't made a film with you. That's going to be a new experience for me, a taste of life. A ship of a, a, a sip of champagne only it's good because I haven't run a good champagne yet. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, man. I, I have some expensive shit, and I just said, "Give me whiskey." I got a song out that says, called "It Should Have Been Whiskey," and the, the chorus is, "I spent a lot of time sipping expensive wine, and I was knowing all the time that it should have been whiskey." <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and. Uh, so that would be my advice to realize that you're not stoppable. The old thing of you will never work in this town again. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. The, there's uh do what you're passionate about and you will do well with it. With you know, with some exceptions. My my grandpa was the one that told me Always do find something you love, do it well, and you will make the most money doing that if you love it and you're passionate about it. So I tried being a prostitute, but there was so many guys giving it away out there that the market was entirely saturated. That is true. You know, so I thought, okay, next best thing, I could be a porn star. And, oh, they don't do comedies. All right. So uh, I might as well just go be an actor and a musician. (laughs) That's <laughs> just good, you know. I think that's great advice. That's some of the that, best advice we've ever gotten. That you know that I mean? is that is you know primary. Yeah, that is that is good. I mean, the whole thing is, as I mean, a lot of people that I I met, uh, especially younger people, ask me about about film and all that. And my thing is that you got to have passion for it. You need more than that, but passion is important because you need that to get through the tough times. Passion and persistence. Yes. For sure, yeah. The squeaky wheel will get the grease. Yeah. Yeah. I cannot tell you the number of times that my manager has said, if you keep calling me and bugging me, I'm gonna, I'm going to have to drop you. You're taking up too much of my time. And I said, book me, and I won't have time to take up your damn time. It's true. Yeah, so true. Hell yeah. Wow. Here's here's one other thing that actors will do. I'm just going to give you this one other piece. You go up to an actor anywhere, and you say, they'll say, hi, I'm so-and-so. Oh, yeah, what do you do? Oh, well, I wait tables down at this thing. Really? That's what you're going to say you do? You don't know who you're talking to. If you're an actor, say, I'm an actor. They say, what do you do for a living? I'm an actor. That's what I do for a living. And I don't care if you're a mechanic and haven't done a single acting job. If you are an actor, you are an actor and you are living to act. If you are a director, you are a director and living to direct. And here's the thing. I've never understood also. So stunt guys will get together in their backyard and practice air ratchets, mini tramps and stuff like that. And they'll video them on their phones. Yeah. They'll rehearse and get it together so that when the movie comes up that they get, Oh, can you do this? Sure. We can do this. They worked it out there. With these things here, 
Why is directors not just directing and shooting? Why are actors not coming together and acting out scenes and then critiquing them? Why are they paying me $75 an hour for online acting lessons or going to schools that people teach and paying for acting lessons? When all an acting coach is is another actor that can see what you're doing from the outside. That's it. My corner man, when I was fighting, had never fought a day in his life. But he had a better view of the outside, what was going on in the fight. And the same thing with acting and directing. You're a director, then direct. You're a writer, write. And write and understand that writing is rewriting. Directing is directing. Acting is acting. If you if you went through my house right now, you would think I was freaking fanatical. Kitchen table. There's my King Vulture guitar, which is a hillbilly sounding guitar. There's the Ovation guitar that I won in an arm wrestle. There's a book uh, now because I'm trying to learn scale so I know where I'm going with the things. So there's a guitar. In the living room, there's another guitar. In the garage, there's a stage set up with a PA, three more guitars. In the bedroom, there's a guitar. And no, nothing kinky goes on with guitars. <laughs> but Damn. <laughs> everywhere I go, there's a guitar that I can pick up. Yeah. Because guitar players play guitars. That's, you know, you look at the tips of those fingers, and they're like fingernails. That's why with chords that I don't even know what they are, everybody thinks I know what I'm doing. Now I've got a question for you. Mm-hmm. When are we making a movie? ASAP. We're down. We're always down. Oh, anytime. Hell yeah. We'll do it. I mean, heck, we'll go there. We'll bring you here. I mean, whatever needs to, needs to happen. There you go. Let's get that done. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Oh yeah, we'll make it happen, man. We will. Yeah. I know you'll be scared. You'll be uh, you'll be regretting that saying that when we're hounding you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you guys would be great guys to make a movie with. Well, Likewise. it would be an honor, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It would be an honor to work with you. Absolutely. Awesome. Just, just remember, you know, in in my um, when we write the script, every time we see my character, he's in the shower with some super hot, you know, Asian boy. And, uh, <laughs> Don't worry, we'll 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 make sure you got some good spice. Alex left. Give up his. You know, you know what's really funny. Is I have coordinated uh, fights that are, you know, long hand form, five palm, kung fu fights. I've got black belts in six different systems. But I have never done a martial arts fight on set. They always want me to be the barroom brawler, throwing the brawler type things. Even in another thing where I coordinated all the martial artists that fought against me. They didn't want nothing I did to look martial art. It's got to be big biker brawler, dude. <laughs> I remember you worked on, um, you did some stunts on Walker, Texas Ranger, right? Yep. Did you get yep. a chance to work with D. Chuck Norris? 
Oh, I, I, I do Chuck before that. I, you know, I was fighting the circuit. I did, I made the wrong choice. There was AKA and PKA. And, uh, Chuck, we were both, uh, I fought, I fought teams with Chip Wright, his stunt double. And, um, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I worked with, Chuck was amazing because I was stunt double and Randall Tex Cobb. Mm, okay. But don't really need a stunt double other than his accuracy is a little off. And if he, if he does hit you, you are going in intensive care. Yeah. Uh, the guy hits like a Mack truck. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, but Chuck would jump in even on his rehearsal things. He would throw full speed jump spin kicks within inches. Completely accurate. Hmm. He's, he's was phenomenal. Uh, yeah. yeah. He, and, he earned his reputation. Of, uh, he beats up the Grim Reaper and stuff like that. You know? <laughs> uh, but, but more than the actor stunt person that he is, mm-hmm. uh, is the person that he is, is a really good, good person. Yeah. Really super good person. I've always got that vibe from him that he was like a sweet dude, you know what I mean? Like a nice, sincere guy. Very, very, very much so. He definitely comes off that way whenever you see him. It's weird because he's an action hero, but like he's... It's like a sensitive action hero in a way. It's a weird... It's like how Kung Fu was a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger was not an acting role for him. Yeah. That sense of justice and sensibility and kindness is just who he is. Yeah. Yeah. It it was not an acting role for him. It was like me playing the head of the Hill people in Justified. It's like, I've never done that, you know. You wouldn't give the guy. You wouldn't give the guy who sings songs a gun with a lo- uh, a bullet, right? Or with the with the lock. What's the line in the in the show? In Justified, uh, I remember there was where yeah, they. Yeah, yeah, I told him. <laughs> what, what what was the line of that? It was uh, he he pulls one of my guys' guns on me, and then he says, he, "I says uh, I can't remember the kid's name." Oh, he got singing. Yeah, start singing and why he's singing. I said, I'll rock hit him in the head when he was a kid, and I love him, but I'd never give him a gun, loaded gun. It's got no fire in yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Heck yeah. <laughs> Classic. I love it. That The guy that played that is such an incredible actor. Uh, yeah, he was, I forget his name, but he was on Sons of Anarchy for a while. Yeah, yeah he was uh, one of the. One of the the uh, recruits there. Prospects. Uh, yeah, prospects. Reed. Reed. Uh, also very down to earth, super nice guy. He seems cool, yeah. You know, it's one of those things, you know, in the business, you know, I think, you know, there are people that aren't cool, of course, but I think for the most, for the most part, everybody that gets to be able to sit at the table appreciates it and, you know, is cool about things, you know. Especially those that have earned their way in. Yeah. Like him, like Tom Hardy. Uh, Tom Hardy's an incredible, amazing person. And Lawless, yeah, you got to work with Tom Hardy. Phenomenal. Yeah. I love yeah. Tom Hardy. 
How is it like working with Tom Hardy? He just a really, really, really super good person. And, uh, you know, he tried to get me on Batman right after that, you know, which is just rare that anybody do that. I, I wasn't available for the uh, thing, but, you know, he he's just down to earth, really good guy. So Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Um, they did the scene where they, you know, cut my, my nuts off. Yeah. And we were out there and it was, it was cold when they put the blood on for that, man. I'll tell you, <laughs> I had a belly button where my penis used to be because <laughs> it just sat right in. Yeah. And, uh, uh, they were sitting out on the floor and Shadow Boss says, we, can we get, we got to get some furniture pads over here. I some furniture blanket. I need a blanket on him. I said, no, I'm fine. He goes, no, you are not fine. It's cold. And they need to re- respect that you're there and you're cold. Yeah. And, you know, just was really super cool. That is cool. Yes, yeah. LaBeouf, Le- Le- like, you know, he's had his issues where the media's went at him a few times. But I think it's just at that level, it's very difficult. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. For sure. I always like LaBeouf, though. He's good times. Even on uh, the Disney Kids show. Back in the day, I watched. Yeah, it, you know, if I get if I get to a level with them where the media comes after me, oh Jesus Christ! They I know. Hard to search. You got to be careful. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I had uh, one uh, person that uh, gal that says, "I will ruin your reputation." I said, "Do you know who you're talking to?" <laughs> I don't have a reputation. My reputation is pretty much already ruined. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those are the people that aren't getting killed by cancel culture. Is like when they come to cancel. If you just say like "fuck you," like I don't, you're not in my world. I don't care about you. And then they just kind of go away and bother somebody else. Yeah, you know, it's the best way to handle them. They'll be eating themselves pretty soon, anyways. Yeah, you know. Well, Tom, this was great. Yes, thank you. Thank you. We want to have you on again. Um, it's time. Can, can you tell the folks, give a rundown of the to the folks of all the different places they can catch your music? You know what I mean? The YouTube page. Awesome. My music is on TomProctorBand.com. It's, and it's TomProctorBand on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And TomProctorFilms on Instagram. And, you know, just pretty much. Oh, and the Tom Proctor Show on YouTube. Go on and subscribe. We're trying to get enough subscribers on that. Something new that I just started. We're going to get enough subscribers that I can go live with the show YouTube. Hell yeah. And uh, which will be amazing. I've had a lot of, uh, I, I must be fairly popular because I don't really classify myself as a guitar player, but I've had several companies give me guitars, Word. you know, uh, 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 that are really cool sounding and great guitars. I got a, a steampunk Telecaster and a, a carbon fiber and, all that, and if I get that to where I'm up running live, then I can actually do shows and get paid for playing those guitars, even though I guess I don't consider myself a guitar player because of the guys in my band who really are. I hear that, yeah. (laughs) I know that vibe. You know. Yeah. And we also have Lives Worth Living. Is that a .com or is that a .org? Yes, uh, Lives Worth Living .com is uh, for uh, suicide prevention. Yeah. yeah, they can just Google it, and uh, you know they're they're a phenomenal company. 
We're going to also be, there's uh, Country Roads Music Festivals.com. And, uh, it's outdated right now. It shows the last uh, show been April before COVID. That show canceled. But if they watch Country Roads Music Festivals.com, they'll be able to see where we're doing these tours, the great bands we got with us. And also, if you got a place in your town, let's say you got, oh, this place has music events or there's a amphitheater or something like that, send me a message and we'll get a film festival set up there. The, the advantage to Country Roads Music Festival is it's an international trademark name. It's, it's trademarked across the nation. So I can, and with the foundation, we can move in and put a, a festival anywhere. We can put a festival in your town, in your backyard, you know, so uh we'll think of one for mass we'll get mass popping with that heck yeah there you go we got some connections with some theaters and such you know uh where we do our movies maybe get something popping you know and even reach out to tom and also reach out to that venue because uh you reaching out to the actual venue to say you want to see tom or other artists is what is bigger than probably reaching out to most you know what i mean go right to the source that's right. Tom Tom can get more money that way, too, because then they're asking him and he's not asking them. That's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks again. This was great. Great, you know. Um, everybody go check out and support Tom. He's a great dude, super talented musician and actor and director. Check out his films and produces. He does everything, man. He's done. This guy has done more in his life thus far than 500 men have done in their lives. Oh, that is true. <laughs> And it's an inspiration, and he's continuing to go, 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 go. And uh, fuck yeah, I'll drop the fuck bomb at the end of the show. So we're all in. Hell yeah. Too. yeah. <laughs> I retract all my apologies. Hell yeah. We don't, <laughs> we don't do apologies here. Screw it. Okay. All right. All right. You guys take care, and thank you very much. I appreciate you. And, appreciate uh, you, man. Thank you. Have a great day over there. All right. We'll be I'll be I'll be expecting the script for the film we're gonna make. And, Hell yeah, uh, it's coming. <laughs> Hell yeah. Right. Hell yeah. All, all right. right. Um, have a good day over there. Thank you, sir. All right. You bet. You take right. care. You too. Thank you, sir. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Coolio and the gang. Oh. Was- okay. I'm going to hit. Uh, okay. Stop recording. I want. Well, I'm gonna re- end up. I'm gonna finish the show real quick. Uh, so, hell yeah, folks. That was the great Tom Proctor. All right. Uh, check out those those places where he uh, he dropped those, those places to go find him, his music, his art, everything that he does. Um, and the life's worth living thing dot com. That's big time, because um, even if, you know, peep it out, check it out. Because even, you know, sometimes, you know, your friends and family don't show signs. There's there's a group of people that just don't show signs or very under the surface signs. And then you don't know there was an issue until it's too late. So pop in and, you know, get hip to maybe some of the signs that might, you know, let you know ahead of time because it's a terrible thing. Uh, Awful. And right now is a weird time for mental health and, and depression and, you know, coming out. Yeah, we're coming out of COVID, but I think even the coming out of COVID, there'll be like a weird, I've, the weird vibe of getting back into society. I almost, there, there'll be a, there's a gloominess of going back into 
to be reminded of the certain folks you didn't appreciate what before COVID, you know, everybody's going, Ooh, I just want to see people. I want to see people I haven't seen in forever. We almost kind of forgot about those bad people that lurk, lurk in the shadows. Um, so yeah, you know, follow the boom cast and Tom Proctor, the good people, you know what I mean? And you heard here first from the Proctor's mouth, future collaboration, future collaboration. Yeah. We love it. And uh, we love you all. So if you're out there, you're listening, and you like this, go on the Facebook page. We have a Boombastic Cast Facebook page. Our episodes are up on the YouTube Boombastic Media page. Also a Boombastic Media Facebook page if you want to pop in there and check out some of the other shows that we have and some all our previous shows are all archived away. And if you feel like spending some cheddar cheese loot on the boys, uh, you can pop over into Boombastic Streaming where we have very cool perks for everything we do from podcasting to films and all everything, 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 everything. a little bit of everything can be found there. So with that being said, thank y'all for joining us on this journey again, and we'll catch all y'all on the next episode of the Boombastic cast. Peace. Peace.